Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a meal delivery plan. It is 100% heart-healthy, plant-based, made without gluten, oils, or refined sugar. All customers receive eight meals and two sides for only $100 plus $9.99 shipping. They offer an exciting new menu each week that are shipped out on Mondays. Based in New Jersey, Try Vegan delivers north to Vermont, south to Maryland, west to Pennsylvania, includes all major cities such as New York and Philly. There's no contract or commitment, and you all, my audience, can save 25% off your first order, promo code, capital L, capital Y, capital T, capital Y, yoga. That's lit yoga. Website is tryveganmealprep.com. Vince is a friend of mine. He is an amazing human being. And I have this myself. This saves me time and energy. And I get these delicious, delicious homemade meals delivered right to my doorstep. So try vegan yourself. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns. So together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Friday with friends, and I welcome back my friend, Ashley Newton, who is both a physical therapist and a lit certified teacher. She has been on the podcast before discussing pelvic health, and many people loved hearing what she had to say, so she's back for more. Welcome, Ashley. (laughs) Thank you. Hi, everyone. So great to have you back. And uh, we were talking a little bit before the podcast about what you're doing now. You know, we're in the middle of this pandemic, working from home, working virtually. This is a big change for all physical therapists, but I can imagine, especially from someone who is specializing like yourself in pelvic floor health. How has this changed not only how you're practicing, but maybe how you're thinking about practicing in the future? I mean, all these all these moments where we are having to adapt to new realities also offer offer us an opportunity to kind of see where we can go in direction that might not we might not have thought about before. So where where are you at in your own practice? Of PT, yeah. So I would say before before everything happened, um, I did see and I do recognize the benefit of having PT in person. You do get uh, that one on one communication and the ability to relate to people and people to relate to you and connect with you. But what I'm seeing now is really the benefit of social media. Before this, I really wasn't on social media at all. Um, and I have found that 
this has the being at home has served as a challenge to both create content so that it can be more far reaching as well as set boundaries with myself in regards to separating work from life because now everything is in your home. So that's a little challenging. But what I love is that it is a very accessible way for people to get information. And I think that is especially, that's especially important in pelvic health when people may not know the questions asked, may not recognize that this is a question that can be helped, that they can access information and learn for themselves. And maybe answer their own questions and then ask follow-up questions. So I think after everything is over, I'm still going to utilize it as much as possible because I think for me, helping as many people and educating as many people as possible is one of my life goals. And I think it's a great conduit for that. I love that. I love that. And I think you're right that it's going to make it accessible for everyone because ultimately you are like me in that I, we really believe as physical therapists, probably our first goal is to educate. And it doesn't really do anybody a, any good if, we, if they come to us and we just kind of give them exercises, not really explain the reason why, not explain more of the holistic approach, and then just send them on right. their way. And that, of course, has been a big disappointment in our industry, I think, in all medical industries because of time restraints, insurance restraints. And this, in a way, will open up the door for more education and more people getting that education. What is a population that you feel like you haven't been able to serve that you now think Hmm. you'll be able to? So I would say a big one is new parents. So being a new parent and I, I don't have any children, but what I've seen in practice is it's a huge, it's a huge life change. You're caring for another person. Your body has been through a lot of changes over the course of nine months. There's there are ta- there's time issues. I mean, getting in to see a physical therapist can be just one more thing that in the balancing act of life may not just someone may not be able to juggle. And I recognize and respect that, but I think this will give people from the comfort of their homes and um with their children, be able to address some of those uh, questions that they may have in a way that doesn't um, tax their day even more so than it already is. Wow. I had I had never quite thought about that. But yes, just when you said new parent, I had a visceral response. And it was that memory of you're exhausted, you're hormonal, your body is different. You're inhabiting this space quite literally geographically in your body in a totally different way. It's It's been stretched to somewhat the limits. Yeah. And then now it's like trying to find its way back. But, but there's so much going on. So you're right, like tacking on a visit that, you know, and, and we're thinking about what's going to happen with the baby, who's going to watch the baby. How do you do this? How do you take care of yourself in those moments? And I would, I would think, and I'd like your opinion on it, that's like the earlier the better addressing pelvic health stuff from from the from the mamas that I've seen, um, not that I treated them, but they talked about like, oh, getting that pelvic health and early really helped them. Is that what you would? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How early can somebody start doing some of the exercises and program that you're going to create? I know. <laughs> Honestly, I'm going to say if you, I, I feel that 
preparing for babies, like preparing for a marathon. You got to start early. You got to start even before you're going to get on the track out there. Let's ask those questions. Let's start connecting everything together because when everything is changing in those nine months, adding one more thing is going to be a lot. And you might not have that baseline of, oh, yeah, I know how this feels before everything kind of started changing. So the earlier, the better. And that's why I love the online platform is that those questions and that information can uh, be addressed. And so people can really start thinking, okay, like this is something that I need to start thinking about from the get-go. So give me an example. If you have somebody who's pregnant right now in their second trimester mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. are starting, they're like, oh, you know, I was feeling great. Now I feel a lot of pressure or just, I want to prepare. Like, and what would you say in the second trimester? What are a few helpful hints that some mamas-to-be can do? Yeah, sure. So for me, for me, and I, I would say for me and for everybody that I talk to, building a solid foundation of breathing and breathing awareness is going to take everybody so, so far. And I have not personally met resistance when I introduce this to people because I, I do have a lot of information and knowledge about the mechanics of breathing and how it does affect uh, muscle action. But for anybody who's thinking, oh, woo-woo breathing, like uh, I breathe all the time, why do I need to train that? When you train breathing and manage the pressure in your body, the muscles respond. And those muscles, when someone is pregnant, are changing, are moving, and your posture is changing. So addressing how to manage now the pressure in the body and muscle function via breathing would be a first step if any, if any like pain is happening, if, yeah, as the baby gets bigger, for sure. So can you tell us a little bit about how that breathing would, how you would assist somebody in that breathing? Sure. So when I look at breathing, uh, when we talk about diaphragmatic breathing, we are not only talking about the expansion of the abdomen forward, but also the backward expansion of the ribs, of the thoracic cage. So for example, I would look first how someone is breathing in different postures. How are they breathing in standing? How are they breathing with lifting? Big one. How are they breathing as they move throughout life? Because when you, when you move, when you lift, that breathing needs to be, I don't want to say perfect, but I want to say it's got to be pretty good to manage now a load against a body that now is a little bit more flexible just because of all the hormones being released during a pregnancy. So I would look at a lot of functional tasks. Uh, I would also look at the joints. How are the joints moving? If, yeah, I would yeah. say that's, that's a good mm-hmm. start. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a really good a lot start. Of bases. <laughs> that is a really good start. Yeah. Now, how... Um, are you familiar with the Wim Hof breathing? Mm, no, what's that? No, I don't. Okay, never mind. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask your opinion about not. it. No. Wim Hof, a lot of people are talking mm. about breathing techniques, and I'm just wondering from a pelvic floor health what that. So we'll look that up. Yeah, because, definitely. I'll yeah. look it up and get back to you. Yeah, for sure. I, I know mm. that that's, um, he's, he does the ice baths and all that kind of thing. So I'm mm. curious about um, how much of it is functionally sound. But what you were saying about the back ribs, I think is so Mm. fascinating because what I, this is where I can't say enough how important posture is, because if you are not sitting, standing well, you're not, you're already starting off with a disadvantage in terms of functional movement, but in terms also of functional breathing, 
You can, so many people are closed off in those back ribs. And what happens when somebody is like really, say say they're just really shortened in the rib cage, what happens with the breath and the pressure in the pelvic floor? So I would say, I see a couple, I see a couple of things, but usually what I see is a lot of what's what we've referred to as apical breathing, breathing up really high in the chest. I see all the neck muscles are uh, maybe a little more active. That nothing, nothing is really happening at the ribs to the pelvis in that kind of um, square area. And then um, I would say, when cued to breathe diaphragmatically, there's a there's a lot of trouble in, uh, inspiring into the back ribs. That a lot of it just happens anterior posteriorly in the abdomen. And that makes a lot of sense if we talk about neuromuscular deactivation, that if the brain has shut off the signals to the back ribs and has adapted this new way of breathing based on lifestyle, based on posture, um, based on all of the above, how we live our lives day to day, then that proprioceptive awareness, where you are in space and the ability to exert motor control over that area is going to be frustrating for people at first. And I've seen people... This is I always I always warn them. This is the most frustrating PT exercise. This is gonna this is gonna it's gonna blow your mind. It's gonna be you know you're gonna be annoyed with it at first, but in the end it's going to it's gonna feel so much better. And people people that I've taught this style of breathing to it may take a few visits. Um, it may take a few weeks, and but we do notice that it does change how they move, which I is so interesting from. The muscles in the abdomen to the muscles of the pelvic floor to how they stand. Oh, it's wonderful. That's amazing. I love breathing. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I, I totally. I mean, breathing to me is part of your core. You know, it is part of the core. So if you aren't, you know, when people are just working their core and and the core, of course, are huge stabilizers, but they are the core muscles are stabilizing the bones so that you have this something from which to pull on to get more breath, bigger movement patterns um, in a very optimal and you know functional way. So I know that we use the term diaphragmatic very like no problem, but can you explain to the to the listeners out there who have no idea sure. what you're talking about? What is diaphragmatic breathing versus just kind of like breathing? Sure, sure. So I'm going to preface it with a with a little anatomy. So I would say a, people tend to know where their diaphragm is, not what it is or what it's doing, but it's it's in at the uh, base of the ribs. It's kind of like an umbrella-shaped muscle, and it is the start of the canister that is your abdomen. So I, we call it the canister because we have the diaphragm on top, then we have the abdominal muscles, and then we have the pelvic floor muscles. And they move together as a unit when you inspire and expire. So when you inspire... And you breathe diaphragmatically, the diaphragm lowers to make room for the lungs as they get bigger. So it's got to kind of move out of the way. And then in response to that movement of the diaphragm, the pelvic floor simultaneously, ideally, descends. (laughs) (laughs) On expiration, like exhaling, the diaphragm moves back up as the lungs uh, get smaller and the pelvic floor lifts back up. So it all moves almost as a pistoning unit. If people imagine a piston, that's what's happening when you breathe via your diaphragm. What diaphragmatic breathing is not is, I, I, and I would say this is a misnomer that I see a lot, is kind of just inhaling into the belly until you can't 
until you feel like you're running out of breath. And I see a lot of people breathe into their belly and their abdomen gets very large. And that's kind of really all that's happening. And if we think about it though, if only one part of, if only that is expanding and the back isn't expanding also, and this muscle's umbrella shaped, it's not really going to move. You're, it's not going to make space for the lungs in the way that needs to. So diaphragmatic breathing is circumferential. It happens all the way around your body. And where it's not happening also is in your upper chest. So those muscles love to kind of get in like the foray. They love to be the main movers and they will help you out. And I always say, it's really nice that they're trying to help you out, but it's not, <laughs> it's not sustainable. Because again, if it's happening there, what's happening at the diaphragm? What's happening at the abdomen? What's happening at the pelvic floor? And it's a chain of events that I consider when a, someone walks in and I see them and how they're breathing. Yeah, that's, oh my gosh, that was a great explanation. I hope everybody hung with you on that. But so for, <laughs> so for instance, let's talk about someone who, like a, probably a pretty typical client, they, ha- they are coming to you feeling like they have weak pelvic floor muscles. Like they are not connected there. They have leakage perhaps when they're running or Mm -hmm. jumping jacks. Um, They're just feeling like it's a, just and proprioceptively have no concept of like where the pelvic floor muscles exist. What are some techniques and tips virtually you would give them? Because I know there are also manual techniques um, that you would do in person or um, feedback techniques. But what would you say virtually somebody can do when they're feeling like, I just have no connection. These are dormant mm. muscles. Sure. So what I would what I would first say is I would go over anatomy where the pelvic muscles are. And we know that it's the it's the hammock at the at the bottom of the pelvis from the pubic bone to the coccyx, kind of like a sling there. So first and foremost that. Then I would have someone be in a seated position because we know that because the pelvic floor is a hammock-shaped, sling-shaped muscle group, that that is the uh, against gravity position. So for those non-PTs, gravity is pulling the pelvic floor down in a seated position. And for a lot of people that don't have that connection to is it lifting, is it contracting, having gravity kind of pull against, pull against them can improve the awareness versus lying on the back and kind of not really knowing where pelvic floor is. It's not You don't get as much feedback. Um, when you're seated, also you get all the good like tactile um, surface feedback from whatever you're sitting on. But for that person, I would have them sit, have them sit with the feet flat on the floor, pelvis neutral position, talk a lot about where pelvis neutral is, and then place placing the fingers to the inside of the sit bone. And the sit bone is the bony prominence of, of the butt, basically. So they're sitting on a chair. To, yeah, they're sitting on a chair, on not a chair. the ground. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, not the ground. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, because then you'd have to be crisscross applesauce. And, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. All that, all that limited stuff, hip right. mobility. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, seated on a chair, placing their fingers just to the inside of that bone and seeing, can someone inhale? Can they inhale into their hand? Can they drop the muscle, the, the uh, tissue there into their fingers? Can they lift it away when they exhale? This is where we would go over the uh, difference between the inhale and ex- exhale, as well as descending and contraction of pelvic floor. And I find that that's a great place to start and usually takes up a lot of time, honestly. But it's such a good foundation because it's it's the metaphor of the house for me. It's If you built a house, you wouldn't build the house on hay. 
it would create a solid foundation because you want to build above it. You want to advance whatever practice it is, whether that be not leaking when you're jumping or just walking around or maybe emptying your bladder fully when you go to the bathroom. You need to have that foundation to create a good base of support and really train your brain to what is happening there. Because that's, we know that with also quick tidbit, we know that with pain, the pelvic floor will turn off first. The pelvic floor is part of the core. It will turn off first. It's like, nope, big global muscles will kind of take over and undoing all of that, the brain's learning of those patterns uh, takes a minute, but I have found that to be the most successful. So that for that person, yes, increasing awareness with breathing, increasing awareness via tactile cue, like self-tactile cues um, and learning where they are in space, definitely. That was a great explanation. Now let's think about somebody who is, so you were talking about on the inhale, the, the pelvic floor needs to be able to, to descend as well. So right. when, when the opposite is happening, when it's mm. either just being rigid and not yeah. doing descending or trying to all kind of like pull up when you're inhaling, what's the reason for that? And, and what is the impact of, of breathing that way on, on the body? Yeah. So paradoxical contraction of the pelvic floor and pelvic floor does the opposite of what it needs to. A lot of people, a lot mm-hmm. of people. And I, you know, I feel like the cause is, is multifactorial in that I would say first and foremost, it's, it's learned behavior. It's like, it's a learned behavior. It's learned. It could be from people drawing their belly in, sucking their belly in, wanting to look a certain way. And then the breath has nowhere to go but your shoulders because the diaphragm's like, okay, well, we're just going to pull in here and not be the main mechanism of breathing. And that the pelvic floor then pulls up. So all the time, someone's walking around with their pelvic floor shortened, pulled up. So when it's then asked to descend, it's like, oh, what? Wait, where are we going? So <laughs> what's going on? So it's, it's part of that learned behavior. And then second of all, I would say, the emphasis and the popularity of Kegels, uh, not not my favorite. I love that you know Dr. Kegel, amazing his original research, fantastic, um, and so monumental in the world of pelvic floor. But I think people almost like giving themselves, oh, I need to do Kegels all the time. You just shorten, shorten, shorten all the time. That is having an effect of okay. Well, now the pelvic floor can't lengthen because it has been shortened over time because of that behavior. Um, so I would say those, those two things are something I encounter, I encounter a lot. And when the repercussions of that could be, could be anything from as mild as, I, I say mild, meaning no pain, like be right. non-painful for some people that's non-painful, but as severe as painful, as um, severe as a prolapsed organ and organ descending because the pelvic floor isn't supporting it, but it all manifests in dysfunctional movement, um, I would say. Right. It's almost like a high, it's high tone too. So isn't that a, you're kind of in this like gripping mm-hmm. sympathetic state if you does, sure. doesn't have that adaptability. Right, right. Because we know that the pelvic floor as a group is a huge guarding muscle group that in response to stressors, perceived stress by the body, by the mind, it will pull away because what's its job to protect your organs? It's going to support you. So on a very subconscious level, it's doing its job, but is it doing its job too much? Are people living in a constant state of, 
is sympathetic activity. Uh, I think definitely more sympathetic than parasympathetic, especially when it then comes to pelvic pain, when it comes to thinking about pelvic floor, that that type of thinking can almost feed into itself. Like the worry about pelvic floor, the stress about pelvic floor, anticipation of pain can uh, prevent the pelvic floor from moving as much as it needs to because it, it's sensing, oh, there's something stressful going on. I need to protect this person. Yeah, I've had a, a number of clients over the years who've said, you know, they have to go to the bathroom 10, 16 times an hour um, I- because they have, like, they don't have, they're just heightened awareness and cl- clinching mm-hmm. of the pelvic floor muscles and haven't been able to, you know, they had to over time learn actually, you are too like hypertonic there. Going to have mm-hmm. to ramp your nervous system down because you aren't emptying fully. It's registering so many things in this heightened mm-hmm. state, and you know a lot of almost across the board, they were coming from a really strong fitness background, like from the gym or something, and just like yeah, the kegels like gripping, gripping, yep. gripping all the time, and didn't know how to like not be gripping. So yeah, there right. can be the opposite. Like you can feel like you're like gonna urine's just gonna <laughs> drop right out of yeah. you. Or you can't actually get the urine out like fully and you just have to go to the bathroom all the time. So those are both examples of dysfunction in the pelvic floor. And um, it, it is, it is resolvable people. And it is um, important to resolve it for a lot of reasons for lifestyle um, and health and, and feeling good because both of those conditions, you're kind of at some state of worry, whether it's worrying you're going to pee on yourself or worrying you're, like got to go to the bathroom again. And just it's, and you're putting yourself in that heightened sense of, of a stress response in a way. Right. Exactly. And the bladder learns too. the bladder and the detrusor muscle around the bladder going to the, to, to your point of people going to the bathroom multiple times, the bladder is super smart and it will learn that if you start going to the bathroom at a quarter full, then that the brain responds, Oh, the tank is full. The reflex gets a little bit interrupted and a little bit wonky. So there's a lot of behavior training. And it's, I would say it's one of the, it, behavior is the most difficult thing to change, right? But for bladder health retraining, I see a lot of success with it. Even, in de, even independent of pelvic floor specific, like manual, manual work that a lot of the behaviors really do, really do help change some of those problems for people. But it does take, it takes some um, volition right, and really right. steadfast keeping to a routine for sure. Yeah. And, and training the brain, like it's okay. You don't mm-hmm. have to go to the bathroom right now. You know, yeah. It's, it's it, yeah. behavior change is always challenging, but I, I love that you're going to bring this to a, a, a bigger group of people. And so in closing, why don't you just tell us what you are imagining you would like to develop in the next number of months. And then people that are listening, you can always write in and let us know what more yeah. we can add to Ashley's plate because I'm sure, sure. A, so many people, males and females, will will benefit greatly. What do you have in mind that you're going to develop for online learning? Ooh, for online learning. Or otherwise, well, right now, but I'm, yeah. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Right now, I'm in the process of creating a platform that addresses 
pelvic health in a way that doesn't separate it from orthopedic health anymore because we, we can't separate the two. They, they are one and the same. I, I call pelvic health orthopedic plus because the pelvis is an orthopedic structure. It's of the bones, it's of the muscles. So I really want, for my goal for people is to be able to look at dysfunctions that were once very only specific to pelvic health, such as issues with um, sexual health, issues with uh, like bowel movements, issues with urination, bladder health, and look at that and connect that to movement. Now, not o- there's not always a movement dysfunction, I will say that, but I want my goal for people is to start seeing themselves as a system and that one thing does affect the other. My goal also is to make make pelvic health accessible for every body and make it make it a place where people can ask those questions and we can learn we can start to destigmatize and normalize what it means to talk about pelvic health and that pelvic health is just health. It yeah. is it is health for everybody. So I love that, that is my goal. I yes. love that. It's similar to mental health how we've kind of put this it's way behind a lot of the physical health and has traditionally also had a little stigma to it. And we need to bring that to the forefront too and not separate it as part of our overall health. Uh, like you right. said, we are large systems that in, that all uh, as a whole make up this mind and body and, and, and spirit. And, and we have to stop separating them because they all influence each other. Well, thank you so much for joining Absolutely. me again. And thank you all yes. for listening. And if you have any questions for Ashley, Ashley, where can everyone find you? Sure. So uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to message me. Uh, my Instagram is Ashley Newton underscore DPT. So that's my first and last name underscore DPT. And Newton is spelled like Isaac Newton, right? Or the cookie. Or the cookie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, well, that's wonderful. And you can always um, write me at Laura at Movement by Laura with any follow-up questions as well. And as always, pulling for you, stay healthy, stay strong, stay motivated in all the ways to, because we're in this together. We're in this together. Hugs from me to you.